Um, I do want to remind you that my massive research project continues as I seek to figure out which um, age group in this church is really the brightest. And so I'm inviting you who are over 65 to our home uh, a week from tonight, uh, 6 o'clock. There's supper for you. It's free of charge. The only thing it does cost you is a question. You cannot get in without, and I'm not talking about politics. I'm not interested in politics. You know, religious stuff, you know, spiritual stuff. Um, So there's a supper, but you got to register or you don't get to eat. And you can register online. You can register out in the lobby. But um, uh, a week from tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, our home will eat together. We'll play some, and then we'll sit in my den, and, and we'll dialogue over over your questions. Now, guys, um, I'm sure you're glad to know that this will be the last of the installments of this, this Baku business, but that's not exactly the truth. Um, I have been shamed into it. Uh, one of those shamers was my wife. Um, so this Wednesday night, I hate to take your time and talk to you about my adventure in Baku, but um, apparently people want to hear some things. So um, this Wednesday night, if you're interested, we'll only do it one week, and we'll only show three slides or four, but um, just wanted you to say a little bit about the, the, the thing that we did while we were away, or some of the things that we did while we were away in Baku. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's Azerbaijan, which is uh, way over there. But we would, uh, we'll share some of that with you this week. Now, um, uh, let's start by finding the book of Ezekiel, which is not easy. It's in the Old Testament. You find uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, so if you can find that. Uh, and then you need to flip over and find, put your finger there and flip over and find Revelation chapter 22, which is going to be easier because it's the last chapter in the Bible. So just go to the end of the book and go back a couple of steps, and there's Revelation 22. And I'll read it in a minute. But let me, uh, for those of you who haven't been around and been traveling on vacation at all, um, it is uh, tis the season, you know. Um, this is kind of a three-part series, and it's really based on three sections of the Scriptures. First uh, Chronicles 17 and following, which was that story where David asked to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord turned him down. Um, he was told no because he was a man of bloodshed, a man of warfare. And so David asks to build the house and is refused. Then you go to the book of Ezekiel, which we're going to read from in a minute. And um, God is giving uh, a tour to Ezekiel through a guide that God sends with a measuring rod and a, a yardstick in his hand. And God gives stipulations and, and dimensions and regulations that are going to be included in this house that he is going to build. David's not going to build it. Uh, and you remember, David, God says, you're not, I'm not going to build, you're not going to build me one, I'm going to build you one. And the one that he builds is, is being discussed in these uh, last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And then you come to the book of Revelation, and that house has now uh, been built in its... Uh, it's pictured there in that apocalyptic literature. So this morning, I'm going to read you six chapters from Ezekiel 47, and then I'm going to read you two verses from Ezekiel, from Revelation 22. So you follow as I read. 
Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, where the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen, um, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Now over to Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river. The river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it endures forever. Guys, while we were in Baku, uh, for a lot of reasons, some of which I don't feel comfortable in, in, in sharing with you, I found myself feeling a great deal David-like. Now, um, whether or not my thoughts were spirit-prompted, I'm going to have to let you um, decide that. Um, remember the story out of First Chronicles 17 that I just mentioned? It was, the, it was the story about David offering to build God a house, and, and originally he was told yes by Nathan the prophet, and then God appeared to Nathan and sends it back, sends Nathan back and says, um, tell David no. Say, uh, listen here, hotshot, um, I appreciate your desire to build me a house, but um, no thanks. Very frankly, um, Mr. House Builder David, you got way too much baggage. And then, as the story goes on in First Chronicles 17, verse 16 and following, David goes and sits before the Lord. He sits before the God who just rebuked him about his sin. And, and a part of that, that, uh, that sitting before the Lord is that David begins to get a grip on his sin because God has given him a, a better glimpse of, or, or has reminded him of his sin of the past. And um, 
I can just see David saying, okay, Lord, tell me the truth about myself. Um, in, because I'm all of those military victories that I've experienced and all of this prosperity in which I live and because of my personal peace and security, I, I, I apparently have forgotten what I'm really, who I really am. So tell me, remind me. And so God gives him a glimpse. He gives him a glimpse of his sin. Not, not, a, not a complete glimpse, mind you. I don't think any of us could stand the weight of knowing all of our sin. I, I, don't, I don't think we know but one in a thousand but David is reminded of who he is. Now, gang, what, what I'm saying is that, that I think that some of that happened to me while I was in Baku. And to, to complicate matters, uh, because I'm a church planter, I'm, I'm a house builder. I'm a God's house builder. And though we don't know what kind of house David would have built because he wasn't allowed to. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> we do know the kind that I would build. And um, guys, I, 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 surely, please don't hear me say that I built this single-handedly. I know better than that. Surely you know that I know better than that. But we built it. But I led you in that. And I can remember... Um, being told by one of my mentors uh, about as to how one would build a church. It was back in those halcyon days of, um, of the church growth movement and where everybody was talking about using marketing principles to build a church and all that. And I remember this, this man said to me, this is the way that you build a church. You find a need and you meet it. Now, guys, um, maybe... Maybe it was my sin that distorted that message to me. Maybe I misunderstood him. I, I, I don't know. But, but here's what I thought that meant. That I, I should build a church and that would include soccer teams and, and mops programs and, and youth trips and, and, and even an electronic letter on which we could sell all of our now unwanted stuff. Oh, David, you're going to love this church. And, um, and it would be a place where people could come and, um, and they could get, get, get. And not only that, we would compete with the other churches in the city to see who could offer the most benefits to the church goers. And though perhaps not conscious of this thought, um, not really realizing what the ramifications of what I was saying and thinking, that ultimately it would, it would become a place where people would be encouraged to do the thing that we all do so very well. All of us we could continue to be consumers. You could come to church and it would be a place where all of my needs would get met. Now guys, I want you to hear me. Um, 
There's nothing wrong with soccer teams and mops programs and youth trips. They're all meaningful ministries. As long as they exist for the right reasons. So all I'm, all I'm trying to do is describe the church that Jimmy Young would be involved in building. So what I want to do now, in contrast to that one, I want to give you just a brief sketch, ever so brief, about the house that, that God wanted to see built compared to that other one. First of all, if you're going to build a house, you've got to start with the foundation. I think that that's clear. And, and uh, the foundation is mentioned very specifically in his word. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Well, guys, that's just a nickname um, that it refers to God's revealed word. The foundation is going to be his revealed word. And then it goes on, the same verse, 220 in, in Ephesians. Um, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That is, that the centerpiece, the cornerstone of the house is going to be Christ and him crucified, and the foundation is going to be the, God's revealed word. Now, I, 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 I can say this much, that we have here at Grace Event, I think, sought to, to do that, to, to have Christ as the centerpiece and all of his person and work, and we have, we have sought to do things that were, that were rooted in and grounded upon this foundation of his revealed word. But then things get a little bit more um, complex when we, when we find a statement like this, which is in 1 Peter 2, and it has to do, now that we've got the foundation and the, and the, and the cornerstone laid, it has to do with the building blocks, you know, the, the component parts of the building that God is building. And it says this, as you come to him, a living stone, that is to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God chosen and precious. Listen to this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we, we, we've got a foundation the foundation is the, the revealed word of God, and we've got the centerpiece, the cornerstone, which is Christ, which we have sought to do uh, to, to be very honorable in, in that regard. And then when it comes to these component parts, these building blocks, they were going to be, as the text says, living stones who offered spiritual sacrifices. All the little bricks and all the little component parts were going to be these living stones brought to life by God's spirit and regeneration. And then we were going to spend the rest of our lives in, in offering spiritual sacrifices. And then this one other thing that I thought was, this is a statement in Revelation 5. It's, it's, a, it's a piece of exaltation to Christ and it says this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, that is Christ, you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people from every tribe, every language, and every people and every nation. So God was going to get these living stones and he was going to get them from everywhere. They were going to come from everywhere. 
You know, just as somewhat of an aside, uh, one of the, the fun things about being in a city like Baku, this little church that we pastored for five weeks, it was comprised of people. I, I, I'm telling you, I tried to make a list. I tried to keep up with the people that we met in this church. It's primarily a church that is uh, comprised of refugees. But we, read, we met Christians from Iran, from Pakistan, from Afghanistan, from Russia, from Azerbaijan, from Trinidad, from Turkmenistan, from Scotland, there was a Texan and a New Yorker, from Finland, from South Africa, from uh, the Netherlands, from Nigeria, Kenya, Britain, South Korea, Venezuela, Canada, New Zealand, Honduras, Mexico, and Ukraine. And, and, and in that you see the supremacy of God over the nations, all of the nations. And, I, and I'm not trying to suggest to you that I got a glimpse of, of uh, what heaven's going to be like. I got a glimpse of God being faithful in this statement in, in Revelation chapter 5. He was going to build his building. He was going to build his church. And he was going to use living stones. He was going to bring to life living stones that he got from all over the world. Because that has always been his intention. From the very opening gun, ladies and gentlemen, when he entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. Do you remember? This is in Genesis 12, where where God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, uh, Abraham, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. You see, diversity is not our idea. We have such a meager understanding of diversity. We think of diversity only in terms of color. And Revelation 5 doesn't mention, no, it doesn't say anything about color. It, it, it talks about people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, from every nation. Um, you know, guys, and, and you need to hear this. This is, this is important. Israel's greatest mistake, Israel's greatest sin, in other words, was that she saw herself as a depository, as a receptacle for all of God's blessings. God is going to pour all of his blessings into Israel. And we're going to be the receptacle of all his blessings. She was never to be that. What she was to be is a channel through which God could pour her bless- his blessings to her and they would flow out to the nations and heal the nations all over the world. But in essence, Israel... Israel became a taker and not a giver. Gang, as people who have come to life because of the sacrifice by Christ, we were to be these living stones being built up into this spiritual house who were offering spiritual sacrifices and out of us would flow something that would heal the nations. You know, guys, the reason I read that Ezekiel 47 passage, did you get it? Did you see it? That part of the tour that Ezekiel saw, he, it included this, to me it was the most striking feature of the tour, it was this trickle of water. This trickle of water that would flow out of God's house. And he saw it coming out of the south end. It was ankle deep, and then it, then it became knee deep, and then it became waist deep, and then it was so deep that he had to swim through it. 
But that river was going to flow. It was going to it had life-giving properties to it, which are described in verses 7 through 12, which I didn't read. But that trickle of water flows all the way into the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen, and Jesus refers to it. He refers to it twice. He refers to it in John 7, excuse, in John 4, when he's dealing with the Samaritan woman. Then he refers to it in John 7, and he says, anyone who believes on me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. All of these living stones that have been brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit via regeneration, we are going to be people out of which will flow rivers. Rivers of living water that will heal the nations. Let me summarize very briefly, the house that God is building. But hear this first. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is what I read in Revelation 22. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I'm going to give you water. And it's going to flow out of this house that I'm building, says God. And all of the nations of the earth are going to be swept up in it. People out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation are going to be swept along with in it because I am going to build this house out of living stones from everywhere. The house I'm going to build, says God, is going to be based on the, the centerpiece of Christ and him crucified. And from that, I'm going to comprise this building from stones from all over the world who are going to be living stones made alive by me, and they're going to be offering spiritual sacrifices for the rest of their existence. The church that I'm going to build, says God, is not going to be like Israel, who became a, a nation of takers. The place I'm going to build is going to be a place into which I'm going to pour my blessing, and out of it is going to flow rivers of living water to heal the nations. Guys, it's at this point that I, I, I want to make a, a few applications for us at Grace of Ann. Um, perhaps the, 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 the largest course correction, and maybe it's nothing more than, than a, a, a perspective change. I don't know. But, but guys, at this time, I, there are so many good things at Grace of Ann. So many rich things that are happening here. I wish you could have been with us yesterday as, um, as we tried to introduce ourselves to the Indian community by sharing our resources with them. It was a, it was a good thing. There, there's so much good here. Um, but I have never discussed with you 
I have never led you to think about our tendency to become consumers, as did Israel. Instead of being the channel through which God would pour his blessings to heal the, the nations, Israel saw herself as a, as a depository, as a receptacle where she could enjoy all of God's richness. Guys, um, if we are a group of living stones, and we are, um, then we are the ones to be making those spiritual sacrifices that will flow out from here so that the nations of the world can be healed. Gang, people whose souls are healthy, like ours, are the people who are in the position of strength. We're in the position of strength spiritually. We, our sin is forgiven. But for so many of us, we are in the position of strength materially as well. And the, position, the people who are in the position of strength are the ones that have to do the giving Clearly, clearly the Bible says to whom much has been given, much is required. And I, I don't think you will disagree with me when I say we are a people to whom much has been given. So great favors impose great obligations. And the New Testament even goes on to tell us for whom we are to exist and for whom our sacrifices are to be made. And they are called the least, the neediest. Now, guys, I don't want you to mishear me. We are not saved because of our compassion, but because our compassion comes from our transformed hearts in response to Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf. And in response to that, we are to be the people offering spiritual sacrifices through which the nations will be healed. When I was in Baku, I read five books. One of the books that I read is a book on providence, and I, and I never really, I'm going to quote from that book, but I never really found out the guy's first name. I did find his last name. His last name was Clark. And Mr. Clark, or Dr. Clark, was responding or was commenting on a statement in, in, in uh, Psalm 18. This is Psalm 18, verse 25. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And this is what Mr. Clark said. I'm quoting. He said, God tends to deal with men as they deal with each other. Oh, boy. He goes on. The merciful, the upright, and the pure... 
will ever have the God of mercy, uprightness, and purity to defend them. Because God tends to deal with men as we deal with each other. You know, let me tease that out just a little bit and then I'll, I'll wrap this all up. Guys, have you ever heard of the Pareto Principle? Have you ever heard that term? Uh, it's all throughout the, the corporate world. It's, it's in the educational world. It's in the ecclesiastical world. You might know it as the 20-80 rule. It is if you're in the corporate world, it's 20% of your people do 80% of the sales, 20% of the uh, teachers do uh, 80% of the teaching. Um, and in the church, it is... 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, if that is true at Gracie Van, then, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, we have one terrific 20%. Wow. <laughs> and the rest of us benefit because of that terrific 20%. But it's supposed to be 100%. What if, what if our 20% went to 60%? What would we look like if the 20% went to 60%? But it's supposed to be 100%. What if everybody who was a part of this local expression of the house of God, what if, the, what if everybody served like the 20%? Or let me ask it differently. What if everybody served like the 80%. What if everybody served like you? You know, guys, um, it has always troubled me that every year at this time, we struggle. We struggle to find people to teach our children in Amazing Grace Land. Or on Wednesday nights. Why is that? Part of it's my fault. Again, guys, people in the position of strength. are the ones who must do the bulk of the giving, not taking. And I would say again, we are a people to whom much has been given. And I think you agree with that. Which is going to mean, I think, that some of us will be abused, will be used, taken advantage of, or even stolen from, all of which is bad. I'm not saying that's good. I'm, I'm not saying stealing from us is good. But I am saying it's okay. Because if you come out here and you steal our soccer balls, you know what? Because God has given us so much, we can go buy more soccer balls. I don't know about you, but I get a paycheck twice a month. I can get some more. But oftentimes the least 
the least can't get any more. So many of the people who comprise the church of Baku, refugees, who uh, are there because they fled. Uh, one couple fled uh, Afghanistan because the wife had a college education and the Taliban threatened to kill her because she had an education. So they ran. They ran to Azerbaijan. And they're legally not allowed to work. And so the government, which is really rather incredible of the government, gives them $70 a month or so. But you see, the least, they don't get two paychecks a month like I do. But not only that, God has met all of my needs. My sin is forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm a Christian. And I belong to a God who loves people who abuse him. Like I do. I belong to a God who loves me. And I abuse him. Guys, if you are hearing me call for your money, you're mishearing me. Because I'm calling for a whole lot more than your money. I'm calling for a life that puts away this, this tendency to be a consumer. And I'm calling you to live a life as a sacrificer. In whatever way that fleshes out for you as a, as a reflection of the sacrifice made for us by Christ, as an outgrowth of being a living stone that offers spiritual sacrifices, I am calling us away from a, a, the, the, the life that the world encourages us to, to live as a taker, as a consumer. I'm calling you away from that life. To be a giver. A sacrificer. All in as a reflection of the sacrifice that is the centerpiece of the house that God is building. Guys, at the, at the end of the book of Ezekiel, I didn't read it, it's chapter 48, but at the end of the book, the last, the last chapter, the last verse, the last words in the book of Ezekiel, God names his house. <laughs> he gives it a name. And you know what the name is? You can, go, you can go look at it. The name of his house is Yahweh is there. That's the name of the house. Yahweh is there. And you do know that's how the, the whole Bible ends, don't you? Not with those exact words, but chapter 21 of Revelation says, and the, and the dwelling place of God will be in the midst of his people. In verse 22, it says, uh, it says there will be no more temple there. Well, we won't need a temple. because Why? Because God is among them. There will be no more sun, there'll be no more moon, there'll be no more, no more night. Why? Because God is there in the midst of them.
It is, it is the Lamb and the God of the Lamb who dwells in the midst of his people. And ladies and gentlemen, do you know who are the ultimate givers? God the Father and God the Son. You know, two weeks ago when I started this little three-part series, I, I closed with John 3.16 and I left out, and I, and I got criticized for it. But I'm going to quote it again. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave. His house, the one that he builds, is a house known for the gift. It's known for the giving. The one in the position or the position of strength is the triune God who did all the giving so that he could create a people who would be like him. They would be givers, not takers. Sacrificers, not consumers. That's the house that he's building. Our Father, um, would you show your people the, the beauty of what you're up to and then give us a longing to be a part of that. Not that we're going to build you something, not that we're even going to help you do what you're doing. We just want to be in the place where God is in the midst. Could we be a part of that? Would you enable us, would you allow us the great privilege of being reflective of the God who is known as the consummate giver? Father, Mike Gracie Van, uh, know the great joy of being a channel through which you pour living waters to heal the nations. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.